I'm Chloe Potter, and this is Vision Vibes. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of NHK World Japan's interview series, Direct Talk. The pandemic has brought racism and xenophobia to the surface. We have all been confronted by it, whatever the color of our skin. One form of racism that has grown in the wake of the pandemic is racism against Asians. Today, we meet award winning broadcast journalist Laurie Matsukawa, a Japanese American. After witnessing a huge increase in racist incidents following COVID 19, she began to use her profile to fight hate crimes against Asians in America. Racial hierarchy is an idea that was fabricated to justify slavery, colonization, And abuse. Today, racist policies that stem from it can only be cancelled out by anti racist policies. All of us, no matter the color of our skin, have been surrounded by racist ideas all of our lives, and that is hard to unravel. To make progress, we have to act on the problem. Good intentions are not enough. Racism can be explicit and violent. But it can also be insidious, subtle, hard to pinpoint, but undeniably felt, undeniably hurtful, and undeniably limiting. All day, every day. A taxi refusing to stop. A look from a stranger as they move to the other side of the bus. Being ignored in a restaurant, or being passed over for a promotion. It is that sort of racism that we also need to recognize. Call out and eradicate the type that too often passes unnoticed and unaddressed. Listening to Laurie has hardened my own resolve to be part of the solution. Here's narrator Gina Tani. I'll meet you on the other side. Today's guest on Direct Talk is Japanese American broadcast journalist Lori Matsukawa. She is calling for an end to Asian hate crimes that are currently expanding in the U.S. The anti Asian feeling has always been kind of under the surface. We know and understand the feeling of being considered the enemy, considered the foreigner, considered someone who is other. Than American. Matsukawa has been a news anchor in Seattle for 40 years and has been voicing problems faced by the Asian American community. She has actively been involved in web meetings, including ones with the Japanese Cultural and Community Center of Washington. She is also working with the local government to voice her opinions. You know what's happening and you know when. You need to take action. Matsukawa believes that American society can make a shift only when questions and opinions are addressed courageously. We asked her more about her mission. The current situation is there is still a lot of hatred and animosity towards people of color Asians, blacks, Hispanics, anyone of color. We are still getting reports of people being harassed. Discriminated against, spit upon, yelled at, hit.、Uh, and these are people who are largely defenseless children, elderly, 
women, they are the most targeted people when it comes to anti-Asian hate. The previous American president blamed China largely for the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, and as a result, he encouraged, perhaps not directly, but indirectly, a certain animosity and hatred toward Chinese people and Asians in general. For the first time in my life, after living my entire life as an American, I felt like an enemy or a target, and it was a very uncomfortable feeling. In March of 2021, a 21-year-old white man killed eight people in a massage parlor in the Atlanta area of Georgia. Six were Asian women. Demonstrations followed throughout the U.S. saying that this was a hate crime. Some data reveals hate crimes against Asian Americans in 2020 has jumped by two and a half times. Matsukawa wanted to bring an end to discrimination against Asians. She gave her full attention on the matter after retiring from her TV newscaster position in 2019. One thing I did early on in the pandemic was do a public service announcement with the Seattle police chief. We talked about, if you are a target of anti-Asian harassment, call the police, tell the police, report it so that it can be addressed. When, the, when they aired that public service announcement, we were just inundated with very hateful social media messages. People would tweet us and scorn us because they would say, oh, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words cannot hurt you. That's not true. Words are hurtful. And there were also assaults happening. And we were trying to encourage people to report it to the police because it is against the law. And uh, we were just inundated by hate tweets and hate kinds of messages saying that it is not a crime you know, we have the right to say whatever we want, not realizing that it is against the law. As the anti-Asian sentiment built up and built up, I was in, involved in participating in several panels and public um, gatherings, virtual public gatherings, talking about the issue, its roots, and what people can do about it. Matsukawa has been active in holding numerous web meetings in solving the issue of hate crimes. That seemingly ideal, but in fact, it is oppressive and holding us down. Um, what is right? What is that uh, ideal? They're quiet. They don't shout out. They don't report crimes and injustice against themselves and their communities. So we were stereotyped as the silent, obedient minority. model minority, and as a result, we are suffering as a community. Right, Kathy? Yes, it was again to uphold this image that we don't speak out and up. Um, and that has actually really hurt our solidarity efforts across racialized communities. Matsukawa has earned the respect among her local community. She has been a journalist for decades, hearing the voices of the challenged and underprivileged 
including Asian immigrants. Her first interest in media started when she was a high school student in Hawaii and became the first Asian Miss Teenage America. She then traveled around the U.S. It was initially meant to pay for her college. I was the 13th Miss Teenage America, the first one who was a person of color. And I wondered, how would people react to me being Miss Teenage America but looking like this? As Miss Teenage America, I went to so many cities, and at each city I was interviewed by a journalist. And I started thinking, hey, this is a job I can talk to people and go to wonderful places. Wow, what a great job. So that's when I started thinking, oh, I'll become a journalist. And once I got into the field, I realized there weren't that many Asian American journalists, right? Um, they just weren't visible. There were a few, but not many visible Asian American journalists. In 1983, she became a news anchor at King 5 TV in Seattle. It was there that she learned firsthand about racism against Asians. My personal experience with discrimination, I felt was discrimination, happened when King, the station I worked for, was looking for an 11 o'clock weeknight anchor. You know, this was a big position because up until now, there was a white female anchor who was doing the 5, 6.30 and 11, Monday through Friday. It was the prime position. Up until then, minorities could be the weekend anchor or the early morning anchor, shows that are not necessarily widely watched. I said, okay, fine, I'll audition. Um, I was selected to be the 11 o'clock anchor. I became, wow, the 11 o'clock weeknight anchor, yay. About a year and a half later, I was called into the news director's office and told, we've hired a, a replacement for you at 11. Your position is going to go to this white woman who we've hired. You're going to go ahead and do the 10 o'clock news on our sister station, the independent station. And I basically had two choices. I could leave and be upset about it, or I could stay and remain on camera and kind of fight it out. So I stayed. I stayed as I'm just going to deal with it here because I felt, I felt it was important that people see that there are Asian American journalists on air. It was important for me to stay as a reporter, to report stories about the communities that I had been covering all these years. Someone had to do it, so I was going to stay, and I was going to continue working. Matsukawa knew that discrimination against Asians can only be understood by studying American history. Many of those uprooted from Washington. So she made a report on Japanese Americans taken to internment camps. About 120,000 individuals were detained despite having an American citizenship. The reason was due to their Japanese ancestry being a threat to American security. The documentary, Prisoners in Their Own Land, won an Emmy Award in 2018, receiving the attention of Americans. I realized that the incarceration was not being taught in schools. It wasn't really even talked about among Japanese-American families who had experienced it. They were put in camps because they were Japanese-Americans and they looked like the enemy. They were put into camps because there was a government that was racist 
and didn't realize that they were breaking the Constitution of the United States by locking up their own citizens for no reason. So I said, let's do the complete story of the incarceration. Not just that it happened and why it happened, but what happened after they got out of the camps. What kind of conflicts did it cause within the Japanese American community itself? How do we address as a country this horrible wrong that happened? So I wanted to tell that story. I wanted to leave behind a piece of work that would be educational for the future generations, for future journalists and future viewers. In 2003, Matsukawa created the Japanese Cultural and Community Center of Washington. The building, which now is used as its office and a Japanese language school, was the Hunt Hotel, where many Japanese Americans sought housing after being released from the internment camp. The purpose of putting the community center there was for people never to forget the tragic past of racism. This is our art behind barbed wire exhibit. It's repurposed the wood to create small furniture and jewelry boxes. Matsukawa was also actively involved in the initial stages of the Asian American Journalists Association, advocating growth for their community. We should become a large organization and encourage Asian Americans to become journalists. We, so we started by giving scholarships to kids to get them to go to college and stay in college. We became mentors and mentored these young people and had job fairs so that we could get them jobs and encourage them in their careers. And then we had workshops to train people to learn leadership skills so they could become managers and become decision makers. It's taken, what, 40 years. Our organization is 40 years old now. It's happening slowly. We're seeing Asian Americans in decision-making positions, which is fabulous. She explains the importance of raising hate crime issues through various means, and that includes meeting with other Asian American activists in online gatherings. Everyone says, well, what can we do about all this hate? Okay, several things. One, increased reporting of incidents. It's still happening. My girlfriend, Samantha, just said she was in a hotel checking in, and some guy walks up to her and says, I hate you. You're so dirty, you and she's Chinese American, you, you know, racial slur for a Chinese person. And, and, you know, she's like shocked and hurt and, and surprised that he would just walk up to her and say this to educate yourself and your peers and train for this kind of thing to happen. If you're sitting on the Metro and, you know, someone's getting harassed, train yourself to how to be a, a bystander to can a helpful bystander to kind of intervene. Discrimination in the United States has its roots to its very founding. So we have to, first of all, accept that. The second thing we have to understand is that uh, America is a, is a country that's built on ideals, and we're going to have immigration from all around the world. Americans are going to look like every other, every person in the world is, could be an American, okay? We have to accept that. The reaction that the community has toward anti-Asian harassment today is very different from what happened during World War II. During World War II, uh, the Japanese Americans basically uh, accepted their fate, said, ah, shikata ganai, can't do anything about this. 
But today we see Asian Americans standing up and making their voices heard. They've learned lessons from their black uh, activist friends. And so we, we thank all of the previous activists before who had taught Asian Americans that you have to stand up and fight. I always ask that. I'm just one person. What can I do? But if you really feel strongly about something, pursue it. Believe in yourself, believe in your cause, and fly with it. Believe and soar. When our son was young, we went to Disneyland. We rode a ride, the Dumbo ride, right above the entrance were the words, believe and soar. He had big ears and he could fly, but he could only fly because he believed he could. You can only do it if you believe. And once you believe, you will soar. Racism is overwhelming, but we can't stop trying to change things. Hopefully the pandemic won't just produce these ugly boils of racism, but will also prove to produce a new awareness, a tonic capable of curing us of them once and for all. It helps me to just focus on doing the right thing in each moment, whether that is voting against obviously racist policies or making sure yours is the voice that speaks out whenever needed in daily life. Anti-racist activist Ibram X. Kendi puts it this way, racist and anti-racist are not fixed identities. It is the actions we choose to take in each moment that define us as racist or anti-racist. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I'm Chloe Potter. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes.